Welcome back to Three Decades of Tragedy, History of the Thirty Years' War. So let's get started, and as a reminder, last week we covered the Siege of Magdeburg and other political nonsense, with the Siege of Magdeburg eventually resulting in a massacre, for lack of a better word. At least that's how it was portrayed. There's a whole thing about the fire and if it was accidental, but as far as the world was concerned, it was a massacre of Protestants by Catholics. And Ferdinand, on top of Magdeburg, began assaulting other Protestant militants at the same time. By May 14th, 1631, he had annulled the Leipzig Manifesto, which was what the Saxons and stuff used to try to calm down what was going on with the edict. And all those who had signed it were ordered to disband their troops. To ensure this happened, he had troops that were coming from Italy conveniently sent to that area to make sure they were disarmed. Württemberg was rapidly overrun before they could be reinforced by the Franconians, and the regent there agreed to provide requisitions and contributions to the imperial garrison. The Franconians also surrendered when they faced the main force from Württemberg and were outnumbered. Tilly, being free of Magdeburg, was able to threaten Hessen Castle, but he waited for official authorization to do it. Gustavus managed to save Landgrave Wilhelm, who was being asked to disband his troops by Tilly, and by July 27th, he had officially declared for the Swedish. Once again, a militant move against the Protestants kind of backfired because all this did was push more Protestants to join the Swedes. As even if they didn't want to join a foreign king, their choice was persecution by their government. I was about to say elected government, but sort of that whole complicated system. Or a foreign king who, at least in theory, was protecting the rights of Protestants. Unfortunately for Gustavus, in a minor degree, the Landgrave was a relatively minor ally, but he still needed major powers like Brandenburg and Saxony to join him, as that would help convince others that he had solid backing from the electors. So while Magdeburg was happening, Sweden was moving to threaten Brandenburg by blockading Kusterin and moving to Kopenhagen to bring George Wilhelm to the negotiating table. He actually threatened Berlin by massing 26,000 men and using artillery to threaten the Electoral Palace, which, by June 20th, Wilhelm capitulated, agreeing to pay contributions and allow Sweden to occupy their territory as an ally. Gustavus wanted his daughter Christina to marry Wilhelm's son, but that was not pursued as it would usurp Brandenburg's claim on Pomerania, and claims were everything. While Brandenburg was finishing up, Gustavus then sent 8,000 troops to Mecklenburg to fully secure the area and to focus his remaining 16,000 troops around Werben. Tilly began to engage his troops, and this included League troops, which let Gustavus justifiably break France's terms on the Holy League. Sweden actually had the slight upper hand in the skirmishes, but Gustavus played up his success, claiming he killed 7,000 enemies when it wasn't close to that. I don't have exact figures, but it was probably closer to a couple thousand at most, as they were just minor skirmishes. He basically wanted to make himself look more successful to the German princes, which would help get more allies. He was still outnumbered, though, as he only had around 24,000 active troops, while the Imperials had around 35,000 in the area, with another 24,000 coming from the south. So Gustavus basically had to be more careful and get Saxony quickly, as he needed the support, as Saxony was one of the major duchies and centers of power in northern Germany. Saxony was a much more complicated case than Brandenburg. Johann George, as I'll discuss in a bit, effectively waited until the last minute to declare for Sweden. And all throughout the last couple of years, the Saxons had been building up their men, which by this point had reached around 18,000 men, but that hadn't been officially condemned by Maxwell and Ferdinand until he had even been told to leave them alone for the most part. 
Even the actions against Hessen Castle have been delayed due to Johan and Tilly only raided the border of the area. The Saxons were a faction that both sides wanted as an ally, so they're both trying to woo him, especially the Imperials. The Saxons were offered concessions over Lusatia, and Maximilian was even willing to make more concessions over the Edict in his territory. And Johann George was a big component of the reduction of the Edict. Tilly was also sent to the border of Saxony to demand supplies from the Duchy, as they were owed, but they were not sent, so he was allowed to bring his troops in. Saxony had not paid its due since April, which was causing a problem with the army, as it had grown, which was expensive, so they needed money desperately. So they first took Mersenburg on September 5th, disarming the garrison. After that, Tilly pushed to Leipzig by September 15th, but refrained from heavy looting, hoping to come to a peaceful resolution, but George officially joined Sweden on September 12th. To the Protestant world, this was applauded and propaganda showed the electors riding with Sally Gustavus, but in reality... It was a political move by the elector, who just wanted to put pressure on Ferdinand to restore the old religious order. He did not necessarily go along with or agree with the religious war aspect of the Swedes, which, as I've covered before, not even Gustavus was fully into that justification as their actual justification. Ferdinand had come forward a little bit in this time period to negotiate, but it was not nearly enough, and it was pushing more and more Protestants away. Most of the empire opposed the strict rules and agreed on broad strokes that it was bad, although they disagreed on the exact method and what they should do. Even court theologians stated it would be safer to annul the edict to keep the empire intact. But at this point, it was too late, as there was no going back. As the Saxons back in the Swedes gave the Swedes more room to maneuver and recruit, even if the aims of each side weren't necessarily 100% matching. But their allies of convenience, at the very least, which is enough for the Swedes to get another foothold and momentum in the war. This move to invade Saxony was a bad move for the empire, as it basically pushed Saxony into the hands of the Swedes, which would prove a major mistake in the upcoming Battle of Bredenfeld, which I think we're just going to jump into, as this is probably what people know a lot about if they've heard anything about this war. There's even a song called Gott mit uns by Sabaton, which is all about this battle. So listen to that one for fun if you want like a history song about famous 30 years war battles. With the alliance to Saxony, Gustavus gathered his biggest army yet, which was made up of around 24,000 troops that he already had, and 16,000 Saxons joining them. The Swedes helped equip them in some training, which they're these shiny new troops. They were even described as outshining the Swedish, although the Swedes, at least in the books I was reading, were described as old experimented blades, as they had been trained for years as professional soldiers versus the Saxons, who a good chunk of them hadn't been trained as professional soldiers or anything like that, so they were militia or people like that, or even mercenaries. There was still a chunk that was combat-hardened troops, just not the same degree that the Swedes were. Gustavus was hoping for a large battle to engage the Catholics and convince the rest of the Protestant princes to join him, and this large force would hopefully be able to do that for him. Tilly had also been cleared to go on the offensive and had been ordered to deliver the Protestants a decisive defeat, hoping it would deter others from joining the Swedes. The two armies met near the village of Bretonfeld, north of Leipzig, on the 17th of September, which would be one of the most famous and biggest battles of the war. Tilly had around 37,000 men and 27 guns and was effectively outnumbered in both ways to the Swedes. But the morale was high, even if a good chunk of the army was exhausted from marching. 
Tilly positioned his troops on a rise running east to west along the plain. The infantry positioned in 12 large blocks in the center, grouped in threes, although two were positioned on the flanks to assist the cavalry. Around 4,000 cavalry were positioned on the left, which were made up of elite imperial cuirassiers, which were under the command of Pappenheim. The rest of his 4,100 cavalry were positioned on the right. The Swedes and the Saxons, who had around 38,000 men and 56 guns, camped 8 kilometers north of the battlefield, arriving on the morning of the 17th. It took them a few hours as the train was marshy, but eventually they got their guns into position to return fire to the Imperial artillery. A two-hour-long artillery bombardment commenced, the two sides trading fire. That resulted in the Swedes doing more damage to the Imperials than the Imperials did to the Swedes. Gustavus made a clear choice to separate his troops from the green and undisciplined Saxon troops, who were deployed in formation east of the Leipzig-Duden Road. The Swedes were on the left side, the cavalry positioned near the road, seven brigades of infantry in the Swedish center in two lines, and the rest of the cavalry on the right facing Pappenheim. As a reminder for those of you who may have not checked up on it, all the strategies and training and tactics are all listed in the episodes about said army of the Swedes. So if you need a reminder, I'd check back up on there, as I will not be covering them in detail here, but their doctrine was an assistance here, which I will cover later. Gustavus began the battle by extending his line to the west, trying to flank the Imperials. Pappenheim, seeing this, ordered a charge with his cavalry, but they were repulsed by 2,500 Swedish troops, which were backed up by 860 musketeers. They charged the Swedish line seven times in total, but each time they were repulsed with heavy casualties in the process, exhausting themselves. Meanwhile, with the Saxons, they initially held the ground against the Imperial assault, but when the gentry levies retreated, most of the green troops fled the battle. Two regiments of cavalry managed to keep the experienced troops on the battlefields, moving to link up with the Swedish left. Johann George was actually one of the men who fled the battlefield, and those troops' losses were around 3,000, which was mainly due to routing. As the battle had been going on for about a few hours at this point, the smoke from artillery and guns had begun to choke the battlefield, reducing visibility. The Imperial right was unable to control themselves from chasing the enemy, and the cavalry began to outpace the infantry. This allowed the Swedish left to regroup and reinforce, better preparing and positioning themselves for another attack, more specifically angling themselves at an angle to prepare for flanking maneuvers. The Imperial cavalry that was trying to attack the retreating troops was engaged by the Swedish cavalry, who were fresh versus the tired Imperials, and they successfully managed to defeat them or drive them back to their lines, or send them routing. The Imperials then began to send troops piecemeal to attack the Swedish lines, especially the left side of the Swedish, which would be the right side of the Imperials. But the problem is attacking piecemeal means it's easier to concentrate fire against them from the defenders. During these attacks, Tilly's right had to do a dramatic swing to try to go around and attack the further flanks, but that opened up a hole in the lines of the Imperials and stretched them thin, as Tilly tried to correct that hole. Gustavus then began to counterattack around 5pm, taking advantage of the thin line as well as the exhausted right flank of the Imperials. This quickly began to eat away and destroy the right flank of Tilly, and even the center had to desperately fight. The fighting lasted for a few more hours, but resistance began to collapse, which was sped up slash ended when the Swedish artillery was moved up and positioned into a better firing position, which allowed them to fire onto the slowly collapsing enemy army. The advantage of mobile artillery was you could do that on the battlefield. It's much more dynamic. 
The battle was finally won by the Swedes as dust set in, with the casualties of the Imperials being around 7,000 dead, 9,000 captured, and many others wounded, including Tilly. The Swedes lost around 2,100 men, but they made up for those numbers by pressing prisoners into service, which is a recurring trend if you've watched the older episodes. Tilly, after he retreated to Halderstadt, was only able to collect 13,000 troops from his army that he came in with, which was around 37,000. So he lost almost two-thirds of his army, with those who weren't killed or captured having deserted. The battle was a major turning point for the Swedes and the Protestants in the war. This was a clear-cut major victory, and was used as a call to join the Swedes as it was a sign that they could win against the Catholics. They also cited the massacre at Magdeburg as a call against the Catholics. This victory was used as a sign by those militant Protestants who thought Gustavus was a savior of the German Protestants and would get more to flock under his banner. On the military front, Gustavus' success could be attributed to his new doctrine alone, but the Imperials had issues with communications and command, which the Swedish could take advantage of, which any good commander will want success and his own tactics to work, but also taking advantage of the enemy confusion is also a very good thing to do. That being said, the quality of the Swedes was a factor in my book, and this battle became a sign for other commanders to start adopting the new methods of a professional army, which would become more common as the war went on, and after the war, everyone made some variant on professional military. And looking at the big picture, this was the first battle the Protestants could really claim was like a clear-cut victory. In all of the almost 15 years of war so far, the Protestants had victories, but they were small, and the enemy were treated in good order, maybe not super high casualties. There was no, like, obvious feet of them. And usually it was contracted by the Catholics being able to deliver a bigger blow after that victory. The Protestants also had the issue of if they had a victory, they also failed to follow up on it, like chase down the enemy, move fast into enemy territory, etc., which was a problem, especially when they were low on the resources. But now, the Protestants had a large army, a skilled commander that could counteract someone with the skill of Wallenstein or Tilly, even if he was a foreigner, and there was just a major spectacular feat of the Catholics. And this is the first time Tilly actually faced a major defeat in this war. And this was not helping his image as a commander. Not that saying he was a skilled commander, Gustavus just managed to beat him, but it hurt the image of Catholic and vulnerability that they had, which would motivate more Protestants to not fall and fold under the Catholic threat. Next week, we will deal with the aftermath of the battle and the continuing war. But for now, we'll leave it here. And I want to thank you for listening in, and I hope you are enjoying the podcast. Social media links will be in the description box or on the links themselves. You can email me at 3DECOT at gmail.com. Reminder, I have a Patreon. And thank you to those who support me. And please review and spread the word. And I'll see you guys next time. <laughs>